<laughs> well, good morning, New Life Downtown. Those of you who are here in the room and those of you who are watching online, we're going to mix things up a little bit this morning because it's Family Sunday today. So we've got a lot of our kiddos that are uh, here worshiping with us. Our zero to three-year-olds are still back in their area, but we have a lot of other kids that are here. And so for our scripture reading today, I want to invite all the kids to come forward and join me up here. And we're going to read from the Jesus Storybook Bible uh, this morning as we get started. So if you want to come on forward, kids, uh, and sit up here with me so I'm not alone. My own kids aren't even coming, so this invitation is, is, working, is working so well. Come on up and we'll read from here. Go ahead. Don't be shy. Come on up. You can sit on the floor or on the stage, wherever you would like to sit. And we're going to read from the beginning of the Jesus Storybook Bible. How many of you have this at home? A few of you, yes? Yeah? A few? All right. So I think we have, how many copies do we have? Three or four? I have, they're like taped together and everything. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining me. All right. You even got your own Bible with you. Well done. How are you, man? All right. We're going to read the beginning story here. It's called The Beginning, A Perfect Home. I'll read and then I'll show you all the pictures. Is that okay? All right. So in the beginning, there was nothing. Nothing to hear, nothing to feel, nothing to see, only emptiness and darkness and nothing but nothing. But who was there? But God was there, yes. And God had a wonderful plan. He said this, I'll take this emptiness, God said, and I'll fill it up. And out of the darkness, I'm going to make light. And out of nothing, I'm going to make everything. And so like a mommy bird flutters her wings over her eggs to help her babies hatch, God hovered over the deep, silent darkness and was making life happen. God spoke. That's all. And whatever he said, it happened. Whatever he said, it happens. So God said, hello, lights, and light shone into the darkness. And God called, God called the light day and the darkness night. You're good, God said, and they were. And then God said, hello, sea, hello, sky, and a great space opened up wide and deep and high. You're good, God said, and they were. And then God said, hello, land. And there, splashing up through the oceans, came cliffs and mountains and sandy beaches. You're good, God said, and they were. Hello, trees, God said. Hello, grass and flowers. And everything, everywhere, burst into life. He made buds bud and shoot shoot and flowers flower. What do you think God said? You're good. You're good, God said, and they were. I almost forgot to show the picture. That would have been a travesty. <laughs> All right. Hello, stars, God said. Hello, sun. Hello, moon. And whizzing into the darkness came fiery globes spinning around and around, whirling orange and purple and golden planets. You're good, God said. And they were. One of the kids in the first service said, that looks like fireworks. Yeah. You think? Maybe you'll see some of these tonight somewhere? Yeah? Maybe not quite that big? 
You saw them last night. You got a head start on all the celebrating. Your neighbors had them. You guys started early. That's amazing. Hello, birds, God said. And with the fluttering and flapping and chirping and singing, birds filled the sky. Hello, fish, God said. And with a darting and dashing and wriggling and splashing, fish filled the seas. You're good, God said. And they were. Then God said, hello, animals. And anyone and everyone came out to play. The earth was filled with noisy noises, growling and gobbling and snapping and snorting and happy skerfluffling. What animal skerfluffles besides me? Don't answer me. Do you know any animals that skerfluffle? They skerfluffle? That feels, our, our puppy skerfluffles, that's for sure. <laughs> You're good, God said, and they were. And God saw all that he made and he loved them and they were lovely because he loved them. But God saved the best for last. From the beginning, God had a shining dream in his heart. He would make people to share his forever happiness. They would be his children and the world would be their perfect home. There's all the skerfluffling animals. I'm not sure which one it is, but oh, it's that one. Yeah, rabbits. And so God breathed life into Adam and Eve. And when they opened their eyes, the first thing they ever saw was God's face. And when God saw them, he was like a new dad. You look like me, he said. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever made. And God loved them all with all of his heart. And they were lovely because he loved them. And Adam and Eve joined in the song of the stars and of the streams and the wind of the trees, the wonderful song of love to the one who had made them. Their hearts were filled with happiness and nothing ever made them sad or lonely or sick or afraid. God looked at everything he made and this time he said, perfect. And it was. But all the stars and the mountains and the oceans and galaxies and everything were nothing compared to how much God loved his children. He would move heaven and earth to be near them always. Whatever happened, whatever it cost him, he would always love them. And so it was that the wonderful love story began. Amen? Amen. Thank you guys for joining me. You can go find your mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or aunt or uncle. Just don't sit with somebody you don't know. Okay? All right. As we, as we all know, that story as it continues in that Genesis account, we end up finding that God takes Adam and Eve and he places them in a garden, a garden called Eden. And in the center of that garden, there are two trees. There's a tree that's called the knowledge of good and evil. And there's another tree that's called the tree of life. And as we read along in the story, we know that when people eat from the tree of life, that when they eat from that tree, that they live forever. But in the fall, they're actually isolated away from that tree. And the tree reappears, though, in the book of Revelation. We talked about this last fall as we were going through that book, that in the end, we see a river coming from the throne of God, running through the city of God. And on either side of the river, there's no longer a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's now just two trees, the tree of life. And this image dominates those kind of opening chapters and closing chapters of the Bible 
framing the whole story for us around this tree, the tree of life. But what's really interesting is that between Genesis and Revelation, the tree of life only appears in one book. It's only ever mentioned in one other book. It dominates the first couple of chapters and the last couple of chapters, but in between it's absent except for in the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, we're told that for us living between creation and new creation, that the tree of life for us is actually wisdom. That wisdom is described as a tree of life. And in particular, at one point, we're specifically told that wise speech is a tree of life. Proverbs 15, 4 says, wholesome, wholesome speech is a tree of life, but dishonest talk breaks the spirit. There's a sense in which wisdom is a tree of life for us. And when we speak wisdom to others, our words become a tree of life to them. The original language here says that a healing tongue is a tree of life, but a twisted or perverse one, a tongue that's not being used the way it was designed or created to be used, that that tongue actually breaks the spirit's breaks the soul of another. One of my favorite scholars, Ellen Davis, says it this way. She says, the inference here would seem to be that wise speaking points the way back to Eden. And more than any other sphere of human activity, speaking has the potential to affect healing at the deepest level. There's something about the way that we speak to one another that can be a source of deep healing, an actual tree of life to one another. And yet the reverse can also be true. That we can also speak to one another in ways where our tongues can get so twisted up that we actually can break one another's spirits. That the very words that we speak over one another can actually bring great healing in life or they can be incredibly hurtful, harmful to us. Proverbs in another place says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And this is how strong our words can be. And we've all had words spoken over us, spoken to us that have brought us deep harm. And we've also had people speak words to us that were a tree of life. I remember my first job as a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor at this uh, church plant, and the church plant was just exploding. We were a, a couple of years in, and there were about 4,000 people gathering together on a weekend. Everything was fun and exciting, and things just seemed to be going really, really well. I was working as the youth pastor while still in college, and then I had everything planned out for me. Like, well, when I graduate, I'll just be able to do youth pastoring full-time and won't be trying to do school in the middle of that. And then the founding pastor of the church at one point called me into his office and he told me that they were going to begin looking for a youth pastor. They didn't think that I had uh, what it takes to actually lead in that context. And I remember kind of walking out of that room just feeling devastated, feeling broken, feeling like but I've given almost two years to starting this and to launching this and to nurturing this and building this. And just like that, I, I don't, I'm not enough. I don't 
have it. And then I remember just a few weeks after that, my mentor and his wife called me over to their house and had me over for dinner. And after we got the kids in bed, they pulled out a little present for me. I was like, what's this? It wasn't my birthday. It wasn't, I hadn't done anything. There wasn't any sort of moment to celebrate. And they pulled out this present and handed it to me and I opened it up. And it was one of those uh, old school uh, nameplates that go on a desk, you know, a little triangle, you set it there. And on the nameplate, it said, Jason Jackson, youth pastor. And they just looked at me and said, we don't know when it's going to happen, and we don't know if it will be here. But we want you to know that we believe in you and that we see God's call on your life. Amen. We see, maybe other people don't, but we see, we believe in you. We are here with you. And all of a sudden, their words brought healing to a place of deep harm. We've all had those experiences. We've also had the experiences where we've been on the other end or we've spoken words that have deeply hurt others, and we've spoken words that have brought deep healing to people. As we continue through this series, through the book of Proverbs called How Do I, and we're exploring how do we live well in God's good world, today we're just exploring how do we use our words? How do we as the people of God use our words well? How can our words be a tree of life? to other people? How can we possess a healing tongue? And Proverbs actually gives us an abundance of uh, instructions about speech. There's so much kind of within here that almost in every chapter, they're saying something about our tongue, about our lips, about the way that we speak. And so I was having a hard time trying to figure out how to like organize everything. And then my wife very graciously reminded me that we have a course here called Emotionally Healthy Relationships <laughs> that she teaches. And within that, they actually talk about what healthy speech is. I was like, oh, yes. And they actually provide some categories that I thought were really helpful today. So how many of you have taken the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course? Okay, for those of you who have taken it, this will be review. For everyone else, this will be an encouragement for you to enroll in the class the next time that Sarah offers it. So I'm going to use their categories and just add one to this. I think it's helpful in understanding some of the things from Proverbs. But we see as a big picture is that as the people of God, we're called to speak respectfully honestly, clearly, directly, and timely with and to one another. Respectfully, honestly, clearly, directly, and timely. So the first thing we see is we speak respectfully. Proverbs 11 says this, says the godless destroy their neighbors by their words. They disrespect them. Proverbs eleven twelve goes on and says, whoever despises their neighbor lacks sense, but a sensible person keeps quiet. The original language that actually could be translated that a, whoever belittles their neighbor lacks sense. There's this uh, 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 place here for us as the people of God that we recognize that everyone was created in God's image. Yes. That everyone is one of God's children. That everyone is worthy of honor and dignity and respect simply because God made them and he's claiming them as his. That per the people are actually worthy of dignity even when they're acting in undignifying ways. 
And there's a desire for the people of God, for our tongues to be a tree of life, is to actually recognize that, to recognize the image of God in one another and to speak to the image of God and call the image of God out of one another. The desire of our speech should bring, bring wholeness and holiness to others, not to actually belittle or destroy people with our words. This is why throughout Proverbs, we find all kinds of prohibition about particular kinds of speech. We can say, looking at Proverbs, that we should never be people whose lips are filled with crude and coarse language that actually belittles the image of God in one another, that we should never be people who use racial and ethnic and religious and sexist slurs toward one another, that should never be a part of our language toward any human because it actually does not reflect the image of God that they were created in, that we should never be the kind of people who use our words to try to shame and demean people, that in other words, we should be using our words to actually call out the best in one another, to name what we see, even what they don't see, to name actually ways of being and acting that might be contrary to what they're doing right now, to actually look at them, to see the image of God, and to speak respectfully in a way of calling that forward. Most of the time when we think about respectful speech, we oftentimes associate with power dynamics, that there's an expectation in our culture that we we speak respectfully to those who are in power or authority over us. We get this even from the time that we're kids, right? Speak respectfully to your parents. Speak respectfully to teachers. Speak respectfully to your grandparents. Speak respectfully to your teachers or to others. And we kind of carry that on. We think employees should speak it respectfully to their employers, students, to their teachers, all of those kind of things. That's typically how we think about this. But in the scriptures, it actually works both ways. That it's not simply that respectful speech is given upward, but actually respectful speech should be given downward as well. That actually the scriptures call us as parents to speak respectfully to our kids. As employers to speak respectfully to our employees. As teachers to speak respectfully to our students. And actually, oftentimes, the greater weight is placed there because when you're in a position of power or authority, your words actually carry greater weight with people than when you're not in a position of influence over them. Then we see when we have influence with any other person, especially if there's a power dynamic, we have to be really careful about how we use our words. The same is not only in situations of authority, but also in places of intimacy, That when we speak to our spouses, when we speak to our siblings, when we speak to our friends, our words carry greater weight than the words of strangers. And so how we speak in those moments should be seasoned with respect, seasoned with, I see the image of God in you. Perhaps maybe the majority of our words in those relationships should be words of affirmation, words of gratitude words of honor, words of celebration, words of I see this in you. We're called to speak respectfully. The second thing we see is we're called to speak honestly. Proverbs talks a lot about truthful speech. Seems to be particularly concerned about the words on our lips being true. Proverbs 6 says there are six things that the Lord hates and seven things that are detestable to him. The first two he lists are a snobbish eyes, in other words, pride, and then a lying tongue. 
Later on, he'll also listen, uh, list false witness as if he's bringing this up twice. But on the other hand, we see words like this, Proverbs 24, 26, those who speak honestly are like those who kiss on the lips. Kids, I'm sorry, that was in the scriptures. I know that sounds gross and yucky to you. But the idea here is that honest speech is actually a sign of affection. That is an act of love. And dishonest speech is in some way a betrayal. And I think what we see in the scriptures is that we owe one another the truth. Because lies create false worlds and false peace. And we were never meant to inhabit those spaces. We can't flourish while living in lies. It's just not what God intended for us. So we're called to speak honestly, truthfully for one another. But here's where the rub comes in, is that sometimes we think that in order to be respectful, we can't be honest. That those things seem to be put in tension with one another. But the scriptures tell us that it's actually possible to speak the truth in love to be honest and to be respectful, to actually hold them together. But I think the key to doing so is actually found in the third piece, which is speaking clearly. And it begins with actually getting clear in ourselves before we speak. Proverbs says this, Proverbs 15, 28, the righteous heart reflects before answering, but the wicked mouth just blurts out evil that our speech should actually be reflective in order to be clear. Wise are those who restrain their talking. People with understanding are cool-headed. That there's a way of speaking that it's not just blowing up and blurting out. Proverbs 10:19 says, with lots of words comes wrongdoing, which is why I'm trying to shorten my sermons. I think it's just trying to find that kind of space in there. But the wise restrain their lips. If we're honest, the most hurtful speech that comes out of our mouth is often reactive and unrestrained. The most helpful speech is reflective and focused. We've thought about it and we're careful about what we have to say. This idea of being clear is particularly important when we have difficult conversations. Then when we have hard conversations that we need to have with one another, we're invited to actually do the internal work first, to be reflective, to actually think about what is going on. Oftentimes when we're speaking off the cuff or we're speaking in ways that we later regret, it turns out that we don't have all the information, that we're making assumptions, we're jumping to conclusions and we're speaking out of that place. Or we find ourselves in a place where we're confused. We don't really know what's going on. We don't really know how we feel. We don't really know what we want. Or we're just angry. And angry, anger, as we know from counselors, is a masking emotion. Right. Usually there's something underneath that. We're actually disappointed. We're afraid. We're sad. We're scared. This is reminding us of something really hard in our life. But we're angry because we don't like feeling that way. We don't want those emotions to come up. So we get angry and then all of a sudden we blurt things out. But there's something more underneath there. 
We have to do the work to discover what we're feeling and to know what we're asking for, because if not, we'll actually revolt, result, uh, re- sort of revert to the same kind of speech that happened in the garden after we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You notice what happened to speech in those moments? That our first speech after the fall was just blaming. It was pointing fingers. It was self-defensive and protective. It was ways of hiding and isolating ourselves. And this is what we do, is that when we have sort of reactive speech, we just get defensive and blame others. And so our job is to get clear in ourselves, to do the work to try to remove as much blame as possible, to own our own stuff, to own our own parts, to turn to wonder toward the other person and ask questions and check the assumptions that we're making. Do we have all the information? Are we just simply jumping to negative conclusions? Is this actually true or is this what we believe? And learning how to speak in the eye rather than saying, you hurt me, you disappointed me, you did this, you did that. Say, I feel hurt. I feel misunderstood. I feel scared that I'm losing this relationship. I'm not sure where we stand. Can you help me? To make clear asks. In the EH material, they'll give us, the class gives us tools, things like, I noticed this, but I would prefer this. Gives us ways of speaking and communicating with one another that's really clear so that we can be both honest and respectful, that we can speak the truth in love. The fourth thing that we see in Proverbs is that we speak directly. This is one of the things that the EHR material assumes rather than lists, that we're actually speaking directly to one another. Proverbs encourages over and over and over again to speak to one another, not about one another. To speak to and not about. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that gossip actually has a way of destroying community, that gossip actually undermines friendship. Proverbs 16, 28 says, destructive people produce conflict and gossips alienate close friends. So we're called to speak directly to one another even when it's hard. It's easy to speak directly to one another when we have easy things to communicate. It's harder when we have things that we need to talk about that are more difficult. But Proverbs 27, 5 says, a public correction is better than hidden love that actually speaking directly to one another, even when it's a corrective kind of situation, is an act of love. Proverbs 25, 12 says, wise correction to an ear that listens is like a gold earring or jewelry of fine gold. In other words, when we receive wise correction well, it actually, as Ellen Davis says in her commentary, has a beautifying effect on us that we're actually able to grow into the image and likeness of Jesus. The people of God should be those that both give and receive correction and discipline and rebuke and those things well with one another because our desire is for us to flourish. Proverbs encourages us to be willing to speak directly to one another and be willing to receive what other people have to say. Wise correction, constructive criticism, apt rebuke, all of those kind of things should be welcomed to both give and receive in the family of God directly with one another so that we might grow and flourish. 
The last thing that we see here is that we're called to speak timely with one another. Proverbs 25, 11 says, words spoken at the right time are like gold apples in a silver setting. Now that's not really like that appealing to me. I don't know about gold apples in a silver setting, but I'm guessing in the ancient world, it's like, yeah, I want some of those. <laughs> like, you know what that wall needs? Some gold apples and silver. If we just have that, it'll be perfect. But the idea here is that we're called to discern when is the right time to speak. When is the right time for a conversation? I think it's always the right time to say thanks. It's always the right time to give a compliment. It's always the right time to give credit to folks. It's always the right time to say what you see in someone. It's always the right time to encourage and to rejoice, to celebrate with people. It's always the right time to say I'm sorry. It's always the right time for those things. But there are other conversations where we have to actually discern when is the right time to have the conversation. It's the wrong time when we or the other person are hungry or angry or tired. That is not the right time for the conversation. I know that a lot of times in church that, that scripture gets brought up, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And so we're told like, no, we, we can't go to sleep until we work this out. Right? And so friends or couples like stay up till two, three o'clock in the morning trying to resolve their conflict. I haven't heard of that going well once. Go to bed. Like go to sleep, get up in the morning, eat breakfast, drink two cups of coffee, go on a walk, and then come back around and say, is now a good time to talk? Or do we need another day to get clear inside of us? Friends, nothing good happens after midnight. Like hard conversations are not good to have probably after nine, 10, depending upon if you're a morning person or a night person. We have to find the right time to have conversations. It's not the right time when we're not clear. It's not the right time until we've done the work, until we actually know what's going on inside of us, what we're feeling and what we're asking for. And it's not the right time if they're not ready to receive, if they're not in a place of openness. That's why we ask, can we talk about this? When would be a good time for you? and to set aside time to have those conversations. We know this as parents. As parents, we know there's a right time and a wrong time to have conversations with kids. There's certain topics that we don't talk about until they get older. And we just sort of innately know like, okay, now's not the right time for that conversation. But now's the right time. There's space. There's a willingness and a readiness to hear. The same thing goes in our relationships with one another. Now's the right time. We just have to be careful to not allow the space between to be a space where resentment builds. Because yeah. oftentimes we delay conversations so long that we begin to tell ourselves stories and we allow resentment to begin to build a wall in the relationship. Really when that has happened, we've gone past the time. We need to speak timely with one another. Why is this? Why is it that we put so much emphasis in Proverbs on speaking in this kind of way? I think when we get underneath of it all, we actually begin to realize that this is how God speaks to us. And we're called to speak this way because this is how God speaks to his kids. This is how he speaks to his friends. Over the years, we've all received all kinds of words spoken to us. Words that have left an imprint either for positive or in negative ways. 
Sometimes those words have been spoken to us by other people. Other times they're words that we've spoken to ourselves. And as we come to the table, I want us to take a moment today and remember the words that Jesus speaks over you. To remember how Jesus speaks to you. The words that Jesus says to us. So if you would, as we prepare our hearts and the band comes forward, you want to just take a moment, whether it's closing your eyes or opening your hands, whatever helps you to hear these words. I want you to hear these words as Jesus speaking these words to you. Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary, who are tired, who are anxious, who are afraid, who are heartbroken, who are burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. For I did not come into the world to condemn it, and did not come to you to condemn you, but I came to save. So where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Stand up, pick up your mat, walk. For your sins are forgiven. So come. Come follow me. Let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. Let them come. For I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. So be filled with the Holy Spirit, be healed, be set free, for you will be my witnesses. Go to all the world, make disciples, let the good news be known, may it fill your lips. Pastor Glenn, would you lead us to the table this morning?